Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Luke 5, 15 through 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 6, 30 through 31. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I said this last week that being a Christian means you're a disciple of Jesus, which means you're an apprentice of Jesus. You are desiring to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. And I want to be clear, we, we don't do this because it's the good religious thing to do. It's not why we do it. We do it because it's, it's the best thing to do for your life. It really, living like Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus has done is really your way of just being a human. And I want you to hear this. Jesus is the best version of being a human. That's what he is. He, he's not only God, but he's the God-man. He's God taking on flesh, dwelling amongst us to live the life that we have failed to live than to die the death that we should have taken on ourselves for our sin, but he did in our place. And then he buried the sin in the, the ground as he was buried so that no con condemning word would come against us again. And then when he rose again, he rose victorious over Satan's sin and death so that you and I might then be given the power of the spirit that enabled Jesus to do everything he did. Okay? And then now, thankfully, he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he represents all those whose faith is in him, praying for us continually before God, and he will one day return to make all things new. Now, he did all that so that you and I would see what it's like to be a human, truly, the most full, full version, flourishing, the most flourishing life you could possibly have. He died because we don't. He rose again so that we can. Okay, and I want you to make sure you understand that's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian isn't just someone who, who believes the right things or strives to do the right things. It's one whose faith is in Jesus to not only have done it for us, but now by faith in Jesus and having our life in him, spiritually speaking, we now have the ability with Christ to live a new life. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. And so in a sense, being a disciple of Jesus is really just choosing to live the most abundant and full human life possible. That's what it really is. We see Jesus as that, that life, and in him we can live that life. Now, you can tell how effective your apprenticeship to Jesus is by how much your daily responses to life's circumstances look like how Jesus would respond. I want to say that again, because that was a lot. You can tell how effective your apprenticeship to Jesus is by how much your daily responses to life circumstances look like how Jesus would respond. Now, some of you are all going, ugh, 
right? If you're going, honestly, my apprenticeship to Jesus is lacking. And there may be even some of you go like, that's just too much to expect. Who's going to live like Jesus Christ? It's interesting, G.K. Chesterton said this, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Right? And that's probably true for a lot of us. That's so like, you know what? That seems impossible. So just, and I know, I know us, especially on the east side, we only do what we know we're going to succeed at. I've been here long enough to realize most of you don't like to fail. Okay? And so the idea of failure is something you just go like, I'm going to avoid trying because then I can know I'll always be a success. And if I don't think I'm going to be a success at becoming like Jesus, I just won't try. I'll just put that idea on the shelf for a while. But I want to remind you, on one hand, Chesterton is right. It's, it's unbelievably difficult. In fact, I would say, in light of last week's teaching, it's impossible for you and I to live like Jesus without Jesus. It's impossible without him. But all things are possible with him. And so that's why for us as a church are saying number one goal for 2020 is that we just learn how to be with Jesus. Some of you may be going, I've been, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. It wasn't anything new. Okay, I bet you still need to learn a little bit more. I, I'm, I've been following Jesus for a long time. 31 years, and I'm still realizing I go to everything else so quickly before I go just be with him. So I need it as well. And, and it's true, I want to make sure you, you and I hear this, that in light of how impossible it is to live this life, we have to be with Jesus in order to be like Jesus. We have to. There's just no option here. If you want to live the most full, abundant Life possible as a human, you need to be with him. You need to walk with him. You need to abide in him. You need to make your home in him and him make his home in you. But I want to make sure it's clear, in order to be with Jesus, you might, it might sound like I'm now disagreeing with myself, you actually have to do what Jesus did. Okay, so it's, you're going, okay, now you're going circular on this, Jeff. I thought you have to be with him in order to become like him, in order to do, yes, but in order to be with him, you also have to do what he did. In other words, you're gonna have to engage in the spiritual practices that Jesus engaged in in order to put yourself in the place where you can be with Jesus. And that's the goal of the practices. They're not to be done in an, as a, an end in themselves, but a means to get you to be with him. So however true Chesterton's statement might be, that people leave it untried because it seems too difficult. I want to make sure we also understand the other is true, that living a life of non-discipleship, one that doesn't follow Jesus, is even worse than, not, than, than trying and failing. It's worse. In fact, I would say not walking in the practices of Jesus is outright destructive for your soul and your physical body. I, I won't take the time to make a case because you don't need me to. But all the studies, all the statistics, especially in this region, would tell you that the more people disengage from a life with God, the more they're overwhelmed with despair, anxiety, and fear. Now, I, don't have to, I don't have to make a case. You can do all, you can go read anything you want. It's all true. And there's a reason why this part of the world is one of the emotionally darkest places in the world. In fact, we have some of the highest rates of anxiety, fear, 
worry and relational and emotional brokenness in the world. Doesn't surprise me. Everyone's just walking away from God. Has no time for him. Doesn't even believe there is a God anymore. And so we who know ought to know better and say, God, please deliver us from a life of not following Jesus in a way that would lead us to be with the one who can give us abundant life. Dallas Willard, in response to what Chesterton said, and he wasn't responding to it directly, but this does speak to it, to depart from following Jesus is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures and disappointments, a life caught up in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. Here's the source of that unending soap opera, that sometimes horror show known as normal human life. The cost of discipleship, quote unquote, though it may take all we have, is small when compared to the lot of those who don't accept Christ's invitation to be a part of his company in the way of life. What he's saying is, to choose not to follow him, to choose not to walk in his ways, is is maybe the most foolish thing you could ever decide. Because you are fundamentally saying, I will go the opposite way of a flourishing life and the opposite way of the means by which I might flourish, which is walking away from Jesus. Maybe that's where some of you are at today. For a long time, you've been running the wrong direction. And today is the day to come home. To run back to the one who wants to make his home in you and wants you to make your home in him so that you can be set free, so that you can, you can be healed of emotional wounds, so that you can be reminded again of a God who loves you, that you could be forgiven and experience grace and mercy, that you, you could enter in to a dynamic relationship with the living God of the universe who wants to make his home in you. Today, maybe, is the day for you to stop walking in the opposite direction and start walking toward the only one who really knows you, loves you, and can and change everything inside of you and everything through you in your life. I beg you to consider that. And I want to be really clear. Jesus didn't just come to bring about our salvation from the wrath of God for our sin, though he did. And he didn't just come so that we might be forgiven and saved from hell in the future, though he did. He came to show us how life ought to be lived. He came to overcome everything that keeps us from living it. And then he died and rose again to prove to you and me that he's got the power to do it. Please trust him. Please walk in his way so that you can be with him. I'm hoping at the end of 2020, all of us who engage very intentionally in these practices we're gonna walk through are gonna look back and go, man, I'm never going back. That that was a life of abundance and uh, uh, fullness. And I experienced rest like I've never experienced and presence of God in my life. I'm never going back. I'm just gonna keep pressing in more and more and more. And one of the things that Jesus did, one of the practices he engaged in, which we're gonna talk about today, is silence and solitude. In fact, most who write on this topic would say that silence and solitude is really the container in which all the other practices thrive. The one that must come first in order for the others to be properly engaged and practiced. And the reason why is because if we can't be quiet and with God, then all the other practices in some way or another are almost a way of driving us away from God, which is crazy, but it happens. Your prayer life sometimes doesn't lead you to God, it just leads you to talk, right? Your Bible reading can lead you just to have more knowledge, but zero relationship. 
You taking a Sabbath might be a great religious practice, but if you don't know how to truly rest with God, then it means nothing. And so we've got to start with silence and solitude so all the rest can actually be rightly engaged in. And that's how Jesus began. We had Matthew 4 read in our Bible reading time, and uh, that, that passage follows the narrative of Jesus being baptized. In his baptism, you might remember John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. The Spirit of God descends on him, and the Father says, Behold, this is, this is my son, the one I love. I'm really pleased with him. And Jesus hears that right before this passage in Matthew 4, 1 records what happens next. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word wilderness could also be translated desert, a desolate place, a lonely place, a place of solitude. So what is the Spirit doing? The Spirit's leading Jesus into a place of solitude. In verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, before reading Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, which I'm going to show you a picture here that I would, I would strongly recommend you guys uh, look at. If you haven't read this book, you should. This is the book you should read this year, one of them. Okay? It's really the, the reason why we do the practices. Uh, but before reading that book, I used to be thinking, man, that sly devil, he figured out when to hit Jesus when he was down. You know, he's been fasting 40 days, 40 nights, all alone. I mean, Jesus is at his weakest spot. He's got no hope. The evil ones just picked the opportune time to come in. But that's not actually the truth. The truth is, Jesus was at his strongest point, at his most confident point, at his most prepared point, because he got away to be alone with God for 40 days and 40 nights and let the only thing that he consumed was the real presence of God and the words of God that he just heard in his baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased is what he kept hearing over and over and over again. I am loved. I am accepted. I am the son of God. I have everything I need in this relationship. It's enough. And when the tempter comes, it's like, man, he's got no hope against Jesus. And so the first thing he says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. And she's going like, if I'm the son of God, do you not know what I've been doing the last 40 days? That's all I've been thinking about. So you got nothing over me. Because I know who I am and I know what my father thinks of me and I can't, I'm not a fall for that. What do you think, I'm dumb? And you know what happens? He goes, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the, the very words of God. Well, Jesus isn't just talking about, hey, I've been sitting around reading the Bible for 40 days. He's been with God, hearing God's word spoken over him so that he is ready for what he's about to face. The devil is at his weakest spot. He's in trouble because Jesus is ready. And you know, I don't want you to miss this. Before Jesus starts his first ministry, he doesn't come up with a ministry plan and a strategy and identifies his 12 key values and you know, figures out mapping out the future and puts up a billboard and announces stuff and sends out a podcast announcement. He's gonna start you know, telling everybody what to do and tweeting, and tweeting out. And, I mean, he doesn't do any of that. He gets away from everybody and he goes and he's with God. 
And I love that because what he's saying as he leads as an example for all of us, he's saying, don't start with man, start with God. Start with God. That's your source. That's your only hope. And don't miss this. He's led by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. I mean, how many of us could say this last week? Every day I went to work, I could say, I was led by the Spirit through the entire day. Probably not. Jesus was led by the Spirit into silence and solitude. And he's being reminded of his identity by the Spirit. And he's, he's being prepared for the work by the Spirit. And this is why you and I need it badly because we're going to work, we're going to school, we're going to neighborhoods and places where we are gonna get attacked. I don't mean by people, though that happens. I mean, there's a spiritual war you and I are walking into. It's a dark place. And we're foolish if we think we're better than Jesus, that we don't need what he needed. We need it. We need to start our day remembering that our work is not our identity, but our sonship, our, our daughtership, our, our being children of God is where we start. Ruth Haley Barton says this about solitude. The longing for solitude is also the longing to find ourselves, to be in touch with what is most real in us, that which is more solid and enduring than what defines us externally. This is our soul, that place at the very center of our being that is known by God, that is grounded in God and is one with God. Here, here's the truth. You and I are so prone to find our identity not in who we are in Christ, but in what we do. Our behaviors, our performances, our, how well we perform at work or school, what grades we get or don't get. And, and the problem is not only do we do it with work, but we can tend to do this even with our spiritual practices. Like God is really proud of me because of how much I read my Bible. And he loves me more because I prayed. And I, you know what? I gave a lot this last month and God must really be thinking, now I love you. Now I'll say, this is my beloved son or my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. That's not true. That's from the evil one. That, that's a lie from the devil. God is not pleased with you because of what you do. God's pleased with you because he made you. And he loves you. And he sees you as his own son or daughter. Yes, he wants us to live a pleasing life. But we live a pleasing life because we're already be, we've already pleased him. We're already pleasurable to him. He already takes great pleasure in you. Yeah, and that's kind of how it works. We talk about that a lot, that the indicatives, what is true no matter what you do, always lead to the imperatives, what you do because of what is true. And because God says, I'm pleased with you, you go, I want to live a pleasing life. But if you say, God's not pleased with me, so now I need to live a pleasing life so that he will be pleased with me, you're fundamentally saying, I am saved by my own works. And therefore, I have control over God's opinion of me based upon what I do. And that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says he loves you when you were still a sinner. He went after you when you were running away from him. He chose to love you at the cost of his own life while you were an enemy. That's how it works. And so the beauty of this idea of starting in silence and solitude is a way of us saying, I believe it's true. And I'm not starting with work. I'm starting with quiet. I'm starting by being before I am going to go do. If we don't, then we end up going to work or school to get our identity instead of going to God 
who's already given it to us. And, and then what we end up doing is we, we go to work and we go, I, I, I have to get an identity so that God will love me instead of I'm going to work secure in the identity I already have because he already loves me before I do anything. And you know what? That's a, that's a powerful person to go to work and go, I don't need this job to affirm me. I don't need my boss to, to uh, somehow give me their affirmation. I don't need my peers to think much of me. Though Those are nice things, but I don't have to have them. Now I go to work because I already have it before God the Father, and therefore I go as the most secure person around. I want to be really clear. You are not at your best, your strongest, and your most prepared if you are not engaging in regular silence and solitude. You are not. You are at your weakest. You are vulnerable to attack. You are likely questioning your sense of identity all day long. And it's leading to all kinds of dangerous behaviors and choices you're making to try and secure an identity in something that can't be given, can't give you an identity. It cannot, it cannot. Your job cannot be your identity. What if you lose it? Your portfolio cannot be your identity. What if the market crashes? Your peers' opinion of you cannot be your identity. What if they betray you? And on and on and on. So we've got to be like Jesus in this way and say, Jesus, we want, to, we want to follow your example. If you had to start here, we have to start here. And then notice what happens next in Jesus' life after his life is absolutely packed with incredible opportunities to do good. He's healing, he's casting out demons, he's teaching. There's crowds coming all over the place just wanting to hear him. And it says this in Luke 5, verse 15, yet news spread about him all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Jesus enters into silence and solitude before ministry, before his work, and then he, he enters back into it as he finishes his work. He engaged it to strengthen and prepare him, and then he re-engaged it to recenter and refresh him. I want you to hear this. The busier Jesus got, the fuller his schedule became, the greater the demands on his time, the more he got away in silence and solitude. So the problem with us, we're like, man, I'm too busy, I got no time. No, then you have to do it. In fact, I'm gonna tell you, the key to your busyness will start with you making time for silence and solitude because then God will start to rightly order your life because if you're too busy to make time for him, your life is wrongly ordered. You are in trouble. You are in danger, to be clear. You're doing dangerous things to your soul, damage to your very being, so the busier Jesus gets, the more he gets away. And I promise you, nobody in this room is busier than Jesus was. I promise you. You know you don't know my life. I'm telling you, he was so busy. We just read that. He had no, didn't have time to eat. We're gonna see that, okay? So he did it. Now, I just wanna, I wanna ask you, what if, what if you prepared your day like Jesus and you ended your day like Jesus? And you might go, I don't have time. Okay, just, just give me an opportunity here. Okay. What if in your mor morning coffee or in your commute to work, you just turn the noise off for five or 10 minutes? You, you stop listening to something. You turn the radio off. Right now, I know you got, you're trying to listen to sports radio to have them tell you who's going to win today. They don't have a clue. And who cares? I mean, I care about them winning. Don't stone me for that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably just moved into town. So... <laughs> But what if we started our day and just said, Holy Spirit, and just turning off all the other noise, I just want you, 
Holy Spirit, lead me into God's presence. Quiet my soul. Meet with me in this place. Remind me of who I am apart from what I do today. And we just learn to be. And then what if at the end of the day you closed your office door and maybe you don't have an office here in cubicles and, you know, and by the way, side note, some of us need to create space for people to find space. Some of you have big homes and you have extra rooms. Maybe one of the action steps out of this message, you're gonna go, you know what, Jeff, I wanna make sure we make our house available for people who just need a break, need to get alone, need to close the door. Maybe some of you who own, own businesses or have the authority in your business, maybe you could even find a way to create a room. Wouldn't it be great if all the Christian business owners said, I'm gonna actually make a space in my, the building that we rent for people to close the door and just be quiet for a while. And that just became a part of, you know, I bet you convince most companies to do it even if they didn't know it had to do anything with Jesus because they know scientifically it's really good for their people to be quiet for a while. But what if you ended your day and you just close the door, get in the car before you start it, before you turn anything else on, just Holy Spirit, lead me again into a place of rest. Meet me in this place. Remind me that I am not what I've done all day, nor am I what I didn't do all day. Remind me in the silence that I am your child regardless of what I've done, regardless of what I failed to do. I am still your child. Just, just gonna sit in that for a little bit. What if we did that every day? I'm convinced this region would change. Because in that container, in that space, in that opportunity you give God, he will meet with you. He will change you. He'll transform how you work. He'll transform you so you can go home and be present with whoever you're gonna be with. Like he will change you, I promise this. In fact, Jesus cares about a lot. Look at in John or Mark 6, verse 30. As the apostles returned to Jesus, and that word apostle just means sent one, so as the ones he sent out came back, and he sent them to preach and do all the things that he had been doing, he says, as, as they returned to Jesus and they told him all that they had been doing and all that they had taught, he says to them, I love this, he doesn't go like, well, way to go, let's go do more. He goes, come away by yourselves to a solitary, a desolate place and rest a while. <laughs> I love it. It's not like, okay, let's get on to the next thing. It's like, no, you can't do that. Jesus loves you too much to continue to lead you in a place, a place where you'll damage yourself. He cares too much. So come away. Let's go to a place alone. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure time even to eat. Anybody have days like that? You just didn't even get to eat? Yeah. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And here's where humor kicks in and realism kicks in, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Can you just imagine like, okay, we can see them going across the lake. Let's go get them. And they're like, come on, can't we be alone ever? <laughs> and it says they, they got there and when he went ashore, Jesus, he saw the great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what does Jesus do? He begins to teach them again. I'm sure the disciples are going like, come on, Jesus. You just told us we need to get away and then you went back to teaching. And I, sometimes that's what God does. You're like, I don't get it. 
What's happening? And what I love about this, but the realism. Anybody experience trying to spend time alone with God and the kids can't stop screaming and interrupting you? Right? You know, and you try, you think you found the spot. I remember one time I, I set up a place. I'm going to go get solitude and silence at this park. And I get there and the, like uh, everybody on that day decided to bring their dog for a walk. And they're all around me. And unfortunately, some of the people knew me. And it's like, hey, Jeff. And I'm like, no. And I'm like running. Like, I'm getting out of here. I need to be alone. Anybody have those experiences when you're trying to do the good thing? It seems like you can't. Mom's in the room. Any of you feel that? Right? I love, I love how Susanna Wesley handled this. Uh, she said she would just take her apron and she would just put it over her head and whenever the apron was over the head, the kid, kids know, you, do, you don't interrupt mom. So you can just imagine, she's like, okay, doing dishes. I'm alone. You know? Now that's some, that's some discipline. Like, I don't know if I could convince little kids to believe that, but, but that's what she did. I know, I know for me, uh, years ago, I, I realized I needed to get uh, space to be alone and I was praying about this. And I, I need help, I'll just be honest, because I can't just enter into it real quick. It like takes me almost the day to get into it. And so, because I wasn't practiced in this practice, I started to just set aside a night where I would go away and, sp- and wake up in the morning in silence and solitude. Because as soon as I'm, I get my mind going and people start talking to me, I like start going to work in my head. And thankfully, there was this couple in our church that owned a really, really nice boat. In fact, it was a yacht. And it was anchored in, in Gig Harbor. And they said, Jeff, anytime you need it, you just let us know. And I said, great. Um, I'm, we set up the dates and kind of scheduled it out. And I did once a month for a couple years. And I, I would tell them ahead of time, please don't talk to me. I'm going to show up and I, it's going to feel rude, but I'm not even going to say hi to you. I'm going to go straight to the boat. And I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind if you would have some food there for my dinner and food there for breakfast and lunch. And um, I'm going to turn off all, everything. So the only way you should come talk to me is if my wife calls you and there's an emergency and then come interrupt me. And so I would actually go to sleep on the boat in silence and solitude because it took that much work for me to shut this off so that I could wake up and be present with God. Now, you might go, that's a whole heck of a lot of work, Jeff, and most of us can't do that. And I'm just gonna say, I knew if I didn't take it seriously, my soul was gonna be damaged forever. I knew it. And it was, it was out of the care of my own soul that I did it. And I don't do it like that overnight anymore because now I'm in the practice of being able to enter more quickly in silence and solitude with him. And what I love about Jesus, the rest of the story goes like this. He, he ministers to all the crowds and then he, he, the disciples go, come on, can't we go? Can't we go to a desolate place? And he goes, yeah, but they're all hungry. <laughs> I just love it. Jesus, come on, man, you're killing me. You know, but it must be that Jesus was so rested he could keep going. That's what I gotta believe. And so what happens is he feeds thousands of people. You guys know that miracle. And then he says, hey, I tell you what, you guys get out in the boat. I'll stay here. It's almost like Jesus is going like, I'll divert them. They'll hang out with me, which says something about who was the best disciple of the group. It was certainly Jesus, which I ought to tell you, don't go to people first before you go to him. So all the crowds hang out with Jesus. Then he goes up on the mountain to be by himself and they're out on the boat being by with themselves. What, Jesus is going to great lengths to do whatever it takes to enable his people to be silent, to be in solitude. We ought to just pay attention to that and go, man, he thinks it's really important. So what is it? Well, silence and solitude is really an intentional time of quiet to be alone with yourself and God. 
a word about silence. Uh, and I, I know this is probably, you go, Jeff, you don't have to teach us about silence, but I think I do. Because um, um, there's something about silence that's both external and internal. Okay, there's external noise and there's internal noise. First of all, external. If you're gonna do this, you gotta go to some kind of place that's quiet. You have to turn off your phone. In fact, I'd recommend, if possible, not even bringing it with you into the room or the place. And you have to turn off all the noise. In other words, take out the headphones. You're like, yeah, but Jeff, I have to have music. No, you don't. You don't. Take out the headphones, turn off the noise, turn off the device. Just be quiet. At least not right away. Or maybe you start with talking to God and then you just stop talking. Proverbs is pretty clear, by the way. If you talk a lot, you're probably sinning. Where words are not, where words are plenty, sin is not absent. So we are doing a lot of sinning these days on social media. Don't talk. You don't even have to read. You go, but I want my Bible. Okay, there's time for that. Just be. Don't do anything. No input. Just be. Just rest. Just breathe. And be quiet. Quiet does something to your soul, doesn't it? This morning, even as I was, every, every Sunday morning, I kind of have a typical practice. I get my cup of coffee. I usually go pray through the notes again, do some editing. And this morning, especially, I started to look at the notes and God's like, so you're gonna do what everybody's gonna hear you tell them to do today? Oh yeah, I probably should rest. Set my computer. Here I am, Lord. Just wanna rest in you. Just wanna be quiet for a while. And you know what happened? It's just like, I don't know how it works for you, but it's like I breathe in the very life of God when I do that. I experience him rejuvenating me. And I bet every one of you needs a little bit of that right now. And this practice of silence, it frees us from our addiction to noise, our addiction to words, our addiction to activity. It puts a pause on all the external stimulation so we can actually learn to rest and be quiet. We have a couple in our mission community who decided to do phone jail a couple hours every night. Like put your phone into the jail and just be with each other. We all could probably use a little bit of that. And when we do this, when we're silent and we say no to the addictions, we're expressing our need for God. We're expressing, expressing our trust in God. Richard Foster says it this way in celebration of discipline. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We're so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we're silent, who will take control? God will take control. But we will never let him take control unless we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. When we're silent, we're practicing submission to the God who's at work when we're not. The God who can speak when we don't. We're learning to be present with the living God 
in a way that says we trust you with our life. And in some ways, silence is a way of expressing the very gospel we say we believe, which is, I am not saved by my works, but by God's work through Jesus Christ. And so I can be silent because it's a way of me saying with my actions that I don't need to be working right now with my words. It's a way of expressing that we believe it's true. In some ways, silence is an act of doing nothing, and in doing nothing, we're saying we contributed nothing to our salvation. It's all what he did. And our silence is an affirmation of that. Where we don't even have to justify ourselves with our words anymore or our activities. But why is it so hard to do? Why, why do we find ourselves always needing to have noise, external stimulation, stuff coming our way? Why is it that when we do laundry, we have to watch a TV show? And why is it when we watch a TV show, we have to also be on our phone? Anybody with me on that one? You're like, I, I've set, found myself doing that a few times. I'm like, is that not enough stimulation that I need this and that? And we're all doing it. It's crazy. And we go on dates and we're like, man, it's good to be with you. You know, like, sure it is. And unfortunately, that's what we do with God. We're so busy being fed by everything else that we don't know how to be with him. And I would say it's because we don't trust him to be enough for us. I also think that the reason why we always have to have stuff coming in our ears and in our eyes and around us is because we, we, we just... We just don't, we're so afraid to stop the noise. We're so afraid for what we might hear. Why? Because I think we're running away from ourselves. And we shut down the noise here, the noise here comes out. The internal noise. And the, in the silence, we hear the murmur of our soul. We, we, we start to feel the anxiety, the fear. We, we start to f- think about the revenge, the hate, the bitterness. We begin to experience the longings, the lust, the jealousy. And so we just go like, no, I gotta, I gotta shut all that down. I can't handle it. And so we run to noise. So how do we, how do we deal with the internal murmur of the heart? Psalm 131 help, is helpful for this. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Another uh, translation says, I, I don't think too highly of myself. I don't occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. In other words, I I realize my limitations. I understand that I can't control the world and I can't control people. And the reality is I can hardly control myself. So why do I think so highly of myself? And I love what he says next, but I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child and its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I, I, I love, have you ever seen a baby after they, after they breastfeed and or they get their food, whatever it may be, the form that they get it? They're just like... You know, and you're like, I always loved holding our babies then, right, you know? And that's what he's describing. He wants us to be like that with God. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. With each murmur, with each longing, with each cry of our soul, come before God and say, this is too much for me. I won't, I won't, I won't believe I'm bigger than I really am. Uh, this last couple of years, our elders have come around me and said, Jeff, you have to embrace your limitations, and, you know, they've been kind and saying, you know, we want to affirm your giftedness and you, you are a gifted man and God's really used you in great ways in our church, but you, you can't be everything and you need to be willing to admit what you're not and embrace that and, and by God's grace, and I think silence and solitude is one of the ways that I'm learning to do it. It's like, I just need to recognize I'm a human with limitations. I can only do so much. So Lord, quiet me. 
Wean my, wean my soul. Satisfy it. With the staff, we've been learning to pray some anchoring prayers when we do our days of solitude. Just short little ones and see if maybe some of them resonate with you. Father, you alone are good and just. Father, you care for all my needs. Father, I belong to you. Father, you see me and you know me and yet you still love me. Father, you're with me in all things. Father, the future is in your hands. Father, I'm safe with you. Father, you're full of mercy. Father, you're with me in this storm. And then be silent. And I want to be really clear, silence is absolutely necessary for solitude because you can't be alone if you're still surrounded by the noise. <laughs> but be clear, solitude's not isolation. You're, you're not just alone, you're alone with yourself and with God. You're not lonely if you invite God's presence. Richard Foster says this, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. In the silence, in the solitude, we get to be. And we get to be with God and with his truth spoken over us by his spirit. In the silence and solitude, yes, you're gonna start to hear the murmur of your heart. You're gonna start to hear the things that maybe you don't want to face about yourself, but God's with you as you do. And he cares about you more than you care about yourself. And he wants to invite you as you hear the temptations, the addictions, the voices that dominate your life as you hear the voice of your mom and things she said or your dad or your boss or your kids or the world. He wants you to hear his voice. Correct all the lies. Replace it with his truth and speak loving affirmation and kindness over your life. But you can't do that if you don't get silent and quiet and alone with him. And then in the silence and the solitude, all the other voices start to fade away. And his becomes louder than anybody else's. And then that changes how you relate to everybody. Richard Foster said, if we possess inner solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we're not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we're settled into a deep inner silence. Whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. That's beautiful. Here we are, God, wherever we go, and I can be with you in the midst of that. Bonhoeffer said this in Life Together, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. And let him who is not in community be, beware of being alone. Because if you can't be alone, likely you're gonna look to everybody else to be what only God can be for you. And if you can't be in community and likely you have nobody who can help you work through the stuff you're gonna discover when you're alone. Some next steps, family. And I really, really want you to, to move forward in this. We need this. First of all, recognize that everybody's different. We're all gonna engage this very differently. All you introverts, you're like, thank you, God. 
This is gonna be amazing. I'm doing a week. <laughs> I'm sure my spouse, spouse or friends will be fine. Kids will make it. <laughs> and the experts are like, this is, you know, gosh, when you said five minutes, that, ooh, that felt like a lot. We don't get to be with anybody? <laughs> You'll be okay. But we're different. So it's okay if we all do it differently. Second, start with a reasonable amount. I would say five to 10 minutes is a good starting point. Hopefully it can be more, but if you've never done this, maybe that's a way to begin. Third, remember it's not a performance. So will be showing up at your DNA group going, hey man, how'd yours go? Mine better than yours. <laughs> you did two minutes, come on. I did two hours. You're like, that's not what we're doing here, okay? So no performance. Fourth, um, we wanna make sure you process this with people. That's why we want to make sure you're in a DNA group or a missional community. Because what we're going to do, the, the guide that we've, that we've designed, and Ken's put a lot of work into this, it's going to help you do the practice personally. First of all, you're going to talk about it in your missional community. Then you're going to go do it personally by yourself. And then you're going to process it with a DNA group, with a few people who you're real close to. Okay? And so we're going to, we have five different exercises or patterns that we're going to take you through to help you do this over the next three months. So don't do it alone. And above all else, don't miss the point. This is not about the practice. This is about the presence. God's presence. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for a body of elders and staff who continue to wait on you and, and together we got to hear you direct us. I believe you're, you're leading our church. Jesus, you're the head pastor. This isn't because we're smart. This is because you are. And we just want to follow you, Jesus. We want to, we want to, we want to walk in your ways. And we just ask that this this year would be a year where we experience being with you like never in our entire life. Be near to us. Come meet with us. Help us when we get distracted. Care for us when we hear the, the noise in our heart and some of it's really scary. Be with us in that. And we just invite you, Jesus, to be the king of our hearts, to be the Lord of our lives, to be the one who proves yourself to be better than everything else we've ever gone to. And we pray this in your name, amen.